BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and obviously we're back at the Coaches Network podcast. And today I've got a very special guest. Uh, My guest today is Ross Enser. Morning, Ross. How are you, man? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, I think my little one is too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Ross, just before we get into the heart of it, maybe just give a, a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll kind of spin off from there. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, my current role, I'm a PhD researcher at Loughborough University. Um, I'm currently researching race and racism in sports coaching, specifically what are the barriers for minority groups to get into sports coaching? Secondly, how effective are the measures that are in place to kind of remove those barriers? And then thirdly, what are the benefits of cultural diversity in the coaching workplace? Um, Prior to that, for the past probably 10 or 11 years, my background's mainly been in sports coaching um, for the past, well, five years up until last November, I want to say. Around November time, I was was a foundation phase and pre-academy coach at Wolves. really enjoyable experience prior to that I was in a similar role at West Bromwich Albion within their academy development centre um and that I've been in university settings I've been I've been fortunate enough to work at all levels of the game really which is you know it's, it's kind of been a happy accident I wouldn't say it's been planned at all but um no looking forward to the looking forward to the conversation definitely um Ross but you know I just wanted to start right at the top of that you know you talked about being a PhD researcher and you know uh, maybe we can delve a little bit into that before we kind of move things on but just just talk to us a little bit about that what you know what does that entail uh and, and why that line of research um so specifically um the topic of racism in sports coach or race and racism I should say um it's it, it's a grown area but it's an under-researched area particularly in sports in the UK um, there's been a number of studies around football, um, but there's not there hasn't been a great deal in terms of other sports, specifically looking at the barriers in the, um, <clears throat> for minority groups to get into sports coach and then progress through it. Um, so, we're, so we're really just trying to shine a light on that, really, seeing what's happening um, and then trying to put things in place to kind of remove those barriers. So, 
it's kind of from a social justice agenda, really, more more than anything else. You know, we, we should live in a society that's fair, that's equitable, that allows everyone to take part within sport or coaching or governance or, or playing or any field within sport or in society. And we know, unfortunately, that within sports coaching, that's been lacking. Um, so that's kind of the that's kind of the motivation behind the research to try and open those doors for pe- for people, unfortunately, that have been closed to in the past. And just on that, then, what would you say some of the challenges are that you've kind of come across in your, in your research, and maybe the the unconscious biases, if you like? Oh, I, I, absolutely. Um, so our, we haven't actually started data collection yet, but from other research, they've identified. Uh, similar traits to what you've said, Jazz. So cultural stereotypes, um, the unconscious bias between certain racialized groups um, around around their ability to coach, around their ability to to play. Um, they might have been pushed into certain positions just because of you know, because of their biological stereotype, for example. Um, so, in particular, within sports coaching, we know that there's a problem with. The recruitment networks for minority groups we know that it's often who you know um, rather than your ability to coach um, we know that um, the support and provision um, is very um, how do I say this it's very um, it's very linear it's very generic it's one size fits all um, and you know it's great for potentially upper class white people or middle class white people I should say but for lower social classes or for minority groups it's, it's not it's not flexible um, so there's a whole list, but those are kind of some of the main barriers that that are coming out um, for minority groups to get into sports coaching, and we're just trying to we're just trying to shine a light on those, and then hopefully try and put things in place to to remove them. I think that's a fantastic initiative that you're trying to get, you're trying to push forward. But I think there definitely is a need for diverse workforces up and down the country, not just in the coaching space, but I think in the game in general. Um, you know, let's let's come back to you now. You know, talk to, talk about your journey a little bit. Um, you know, you mentioned there that you've worked in a range of different environments. I think most recently, um, you know, working in academy football. So, let me just talk to us a little bit about your journey and, and where that started and how you've kind of got to this point now. So, um, I've probably been I've probably been coaching for around 11, 11 or twelve years, I would say. Um, my main avenue into it um, when I was around 13, 14, I made the sad realization that I wasn't going to be the next Stephen Gerrard. Um, so I thought, right, what's the next best thing? Because I always like being involved in the game. I always like working with people and being a part of a team. So I thought, what's the next best thing? And I went into refereeing and I take my hat off to anyone who referees up and down the country. Because um, I, 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 I tried that. I did it I did it for about six or seven months and it just wasn't for me. Um, and then I thought, right, what's the next, you know, what's the next avenue? So then I tried coaching. Um, so when I left school, I was I went uh, to a really supportive college, uh, Dudley College in the Black Country. For those Midlands listeners, they'll know exactly, exactly where that is. Um, and I, they they had a great sports coach provision. They they threw us in at the deep end in a sense, but it was the kind of best form of development and best grounding for me because you were delivered in schools, you were delivered in nursery clubs, you were delivered after school clubs. Um, and it taught you to be adaptable at a very, very early point in your career, um, because obviously you might imagine with a within a PE session or a football session, you've probably got ten or eleven kids who like football and want to play. You've got five or six kids who are just there because <laughs> because it's PE. Um, you've got another couple, two or three there that have got no interest whatsoever and don't want to play as well. On top of anything else, you might have people who've got um, uh, physical and uh, f- physical and hidden disabilities as well. So it kind of prepared, it made you adaptable at a very early point. And, you know, I always think about that when I'm reflecting on my journey up to this point. It was the best, it, it was the best avenue to go down and I wouldn't have had it any other way. Um, so I, I, I was delivering that in college. Um, on top of that, I was assistant coach for this, the college senior team as well. Um, and then I went into university, uh, Worcester. And I got a placement at West Bromwich Albion um, for a year in their academy development section. So I did that for a year, and then another year I was after that once I left, you know, I was I was employed by them while I was doing my masters. Um, and then after that, I crossed the divide to Wolverhampton Wanderers, Wolves. Um, I'm a West Brom fan, which it didn't go down well in my family. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, 
And I was there for I was there for about five years. Um, I worked with the pre-academy, the development centre, the foundation phase five to elevens as well. And um, on top of that, I did some lecturing and sports coaching, sports science within the foundation degree courses at the University of Worcester. Um, so yeah, that's a kind of a whistle stop tour of where I'm, where I'm, where I'm, or where I have been up to this point. Each experience learned learned a lot of great things learn what not to do, learn what to do in some cases as well. Um, but it's like anything, you take anything from every experience in life, don't you? So, um, yeah, I wouldn't have had it any other way, really, yeah. Well, definitely. I think, that, you know, first of all, thank you for that. You know, there's, a lot, there's a lot in there. And I think the first piece that kind of really jumps out at me is, you know, you've had a wide range of experiences from the start of your journey to where you are now. And obviously, like you said there, you know, as we go through different experiences, we're going to pick up new things and, you know, some things we're going to leave behind or some things we're going to park for a future experience. What was coaching like for you when you first started? And what would you say are some of the, ma- the major changes that you've seen in your own development since then? And maybe we can unpack how, how those came about and, and what they really look like. Um, well, great question, yes. Um, well, I, I think for me, it was quite, it was similar to um, a lot of the coaches coming through at that point where it was, where am I going on my level two? And it was a, there was a very set way of how you delivered. And a very set way in terms of how you, your session structure should look. So it was, it was. I remember on my level two, it was technique to skill to game. And so you left the game at the very end. Um, and you just didn't, you you didn't, you weren't, you weren't reflecting on it because that was just seen as the way to deliver and the way to, um, <clears throat> and, and the way to put your points across or the way to work with players. Um, and the big change for me, was when I in my I remember the module it was I think it was principles of sports coaching in my first year at uni and I was introduced to uh games based approaches and I always I always describe it like this and it might be but it was a really it was a kind of a liberating experience for me because I thought it was something completely different to what I'd come before um and it was Simple things such as, oh, we'll put a game at the start or a variation of the game at the start. And people were like, what? <laughs> you start in there. Um, and just the interventions as well, asking questions as opposed to adopting a, a command style quotation marks. Um, and I, I I, just felt that that fit what learning is to me and what the players would want out of the experience. So I remember there was, I know we'll come on to this a bit later on, but... We had a conversation, loads of reflective conversation around, well, if we start right at the technique, we're implying that everybody's the same and they're all at the same level and they've got no experience of it at all or they've got a lower ability potentially. And it's like, well, you know, the one thing we know about people is they're not generic. You know, everyone's got, everyone's made up of different, different experiences, different prior knowledge. So... By putting them in a game, we could, just a simple modification like that, we can we can kind of understand where they're at from a certain point, and then that feeds into the next thing that we're going to do. So for me, it just it was it was like a light bulb moment. I always think back to that, that you know that film Inspector Gadget, you know, when the light comes out, <laughs> light comes out of his hat. It was it just it just fit for me. I thought that's what learning is. That's what potentially that's what coaching should look like for young, in particularly young players. But saying that, you could you could apply it anywhere, um, and the. Because I, I would, the, the one quote that was in my head was the question that everyone gets asked at the start of the session. Um, when are we going to play a game? And I thought, let's just play a game now. Let's start. <laughs> yeah. So oh, no, I think, I think there's, a few, there's a few great points in there. I think, first of all, uh, let's start on that last one that you've just made there. Uh, you know, that question of when are we going to play a game or can we play a game? Now, Depending on the context of the, of the environment you're in, it might be early on in your first few sessions that the players are just trying to be cheeky and see what they can get away with. Um, or on the flip side, it might be that you've been with the players for a little while and they're, they're, they're asking that question because that's the part that you look look forward to. Now, my, my view is this, is if, if, if you, you know, and some of them are just, are just inclined to, you know, based on experiences, wanting to play a game because that's what they associate as the fun part of the session, if you like. Uh, but my experience has shown me that in the case where it's not you're a new coach to the session and you've actually been working with these players for a while if, they, if they're still asking you for a game um, at least in my observations it's chances are they probably find the rest of your sessions boring um, 
so you know my, my I often you know when I am speaking to coaches and even 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 just engaging with my players around it it's right let's try and remove that question from this environment yeah but that's responsibility of my of mine and not theirs it should be my responsibility to make sure that they're being engaged and they're enjoying and and developing within the session um appropriately enough that they're never having to even think about asking that question because yeah. they associate everything as fun and and and, and i don't think you know, if you strip it right back they're asking for a game because that's what they understand to be fun but yeah. actually as long as it's engaging they'll find it fun anyway um but i think obviously you know especially when you're working with young players they'll just associate game with fun whereas if you can start developing that connection to fun with all your practices you you kind of eradicate that so i guess within that yeah talk there about having almost like a light bulb moment inspector gadget moment about you know this just makes sense to you you know it just it just it just sat yeah. right, sat well with you what was that like when you first kind of come across that because you know like similar to yourself and i went through the old old style level 2 technique skill game and we'll come on to that in a, in a little while but it was very contradictory to what we're now talking about here absolutely um and it, not not to say that it was contradictory to say that this is the right way or this is the wrong way but i think there was a lot of a, a lot of it is now conversations where i'm having people about this type of approach to coaching and um i guess a more free a free spirited way of, of working if you like yeah um and sometimes often people will challenge it and say well there's not actually coaching going on how 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 did you how did you find that transition and then it was it was it difficult to kind of get that across to maybe the participants or the players or even your supporting you know your colleagues in the environments that you're working in to say actually you know, let's let's try this and I, you know i believe in this because one of the biggest challenges i think I, i'd anticipate you having and I've, and i've certainly experienced this in my journey is coaches saying well that's not what coaching looks like coaching should be this technique skill game um but then it's interesting because when you bring up a new concept um or a different concept to what they used to they often say well where's the evidence well where's the evidence that what you're doing is working absolutely you're just doing what you know and what's always been done but there's never actually the, you know there's never actually the question of or the, or the challenge for you to provide the evidence that it is working because it's just what's always been done if that makes sense absolutely so there's, there's a couple of things um the f- the first one f- for me is the the con- the 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 structure behind that technique to skill to game it's yes it's implying that you it it it's built on the principle that in order to play a game you have to show competency in quotation marks before you get into the game but i've always thrown that back at people and said well does that mean i have to display competency in the practice rather than the game because the ga- that's going to be reduced complexity but that's not what the game is so how I can show competency in that and I can do it in that. For example, if I'm passing a ball against the wall, but then if I'm playing it it's something completely different in a game. It's something completely different. Um because um you you think if I'm passing the ball against the wall, I'm learning how to pass a ball. You think when you learn anything you learn you need, you, you want to learn, know how where when and why you do something. Yes, you're learning how, but you're not wearing where when and why. as to do it. and and that's and you could argue that's what the that's what determines where you use the skill or where you use a technique per se in a game yeah i mean and i'll just jump in there and just say that you know i would even challenge are you really learning the how either well that's true yeah absolutely challenge it because yeah. you know the, the the way i look at it is what if you're if you're practicing to pass the ball against the wall what you're getting good at is passing the ball against the wall yeah um so you know in in of itself you, you all you're getting effective at is understanding right what's the right level of power or pace to put in the ball the right surface to use yeah. against this wall the game does not look like that and it and it kind of then you know i don't know i i would argue i don't think you are learning the how no you're probably a learning a how but it's not the how that's going to get you further forward in this game and coming back to what you said a few seconds ago in that right i can be competent in the practice but that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean i'm going to be competent in this in in the the real context and to kind of add to that is then it's also very subjective right Absolutely. i'm looking at yeah. this as a coach you're looking at it as a coach and so and so is looking at it as a coach we can all have different opinions on what competency looks like in this in the, in this situation um whereas my my beliefs are, and i think and this is what really you know really piqued my interest in terms of obviously having, having you on the podcast and speaking to you is this idea of 
can we get the players to become more reflective about what's actually happening in action? And if they are learning a how, can they then connect that how to a where, a when and why, like you've said? Um, because it's everything is in, is in response to something. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, it's also right. How do we then decide for the player what is competency if they don't understand the context? It, absolutely. I mean, you think if you're learning to do something, for it to make sense, it needs to be as close to the context as possible. Um, if I'm learning to if I'm learning to pass a ball or I'm learning a skill, if I know how, where, when and do when and why to do it, I can have an idea of when to use it in a game. It might not be a game, it might be a game type of practice, it might be 2v1, 2v2s, etc. Um so it, it all comes down to context for me. It's, cre- it's creating an authentic learning experience for the players because then they can make that link easier rather than transfer. I'm not a huge fan of the word transfer because it kind of implies that you're doing something completely different from, from the game. Um, so, but if players can... It's all about, for me, to create an authentic learning environment where they can make the link. They might not do it every time, but if they can, make, if they can try and make the link of where to use something or why to use something, or any of the, what, the components that we yeah. talked about. To me, that to me that, that that's the golden nugget of coaching for me. Hundred percent. I think one yeah. really key thing within that is, and, I, and I'm sure you'd agree. And please correct me if I'm wrong. Is that we're not here saying that technique, skill, game isn't the way to go. We're we're also not saying. I'm certainly not saying that technique is necessarily a wrong way to do things. Yeah. However. What I would throw out there, and this is obviously just my, my opinion, is I don't believe across the board there's enough coaches going through the technique, skill, game process or, or working in unopposed environments enough that actually understand maybe the technical and technical understanding that needs to be applied within those contexts. Yeah. Or it just becomes doing for the sake of doing. And... Talk, coming back to what you were saying a second ago, the players are then doing these activities or doing these actions or behaviours. They're not able to then connect that to a certain outcome or a certain event in it that might come up in a game. So again, coming back to one of the keywords that you've used there is context. Yeah. How well are you as a coach giving context to the unopposed practice if that's the way you're going with things? And if you are going with opposed practice, how close you related is the context of that practice to what it would look like in a game? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's it for me a big a big test for that is to see realism in your practice. And again, this is one thing I've tried to do. Um, if we're doing something on a pose, some players potentially they, they haven't worked on any any form of skill or anything. If if I ask a player when would you use this in a game, and they don't know the answer, I think something's wrong here. That doesn't mean it's realistic enough. If, if, if they can't see where they would use this, then we've got to change something. Something's not right. But if they can say, when would you use this? If, if I ask them, when, when would you use this in a game? And they can they have an idea, then you're on the right lines. And again, you might extend that with increasing the, increasing the speed, increasing the interference, different players, etc. cetera. Um, so that's, that's one way that I've, I've done it in the past. Um, it might not work for everybody. Um, for example, with younger players, you might have to phrase it in a different way. Um, like what, for example, when, when would you, again, when, when would you use this on a Saturday or something? Because some of them, you know, some of, some of them that I've coached in the past, they, they, they just play, they don't know the difference between game and training, so you might have to, you might have to phrase it in a different way. So uh, it's just different variations at different levels, I think. 100%. So, you know, let, let, let's just delve a bit deeper into that. Then, you know, we talked earlier about... Um your coaching journey you're coming in through the level two and it was very much technique skill game what you know if you reflect back on that now mm. what was what you know what you what your thoughts about that process you know do you, and how have you then navigated your your own delivery around that do you still implement elements of that technique skill game approach do you kind of completely go away from that because personally speaking i don't go near it anymore um, um yeah that's, 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 that's the same with me. Um, I've always, I've, in, in terms of if I'm putting it into potentially like a my most common use structure, um, it's probably whole part whole. Um, so at, right at the start, it'd be a variation of the topic that we're doing. Um, so it might be a 2v2 or 3v3 around. For example, if, we, if we're doing uh, dribbling, it might be a game where um, 
you know, before you score, can you try and get into an end zone before you have a shot or something like that? And then what, what you do in there is people look at it and then they think, you know, sometimes I think, oh, they're just playing a game. Actually, it's a real good ob- observation tool because then you can see where the players are at and then you can see where to go next. For example, if a lot of the players, I mean, I've done this in the past where um, we've gone whole dribbling 1v1s, we've gone whole that game at the start that I just mentioned. And then the next practice, it might be that, we'd, yes, we're going to do 1v1s, but it might be, oh, okay, um, you know, they can't really, they can't really, they're struggling to fake, potentially go one way and then go the other. So it might be, okay, I'll put a zone in that you've got to, you've got to try and score in a free goal where the defender isn't, for example, and you split the pitch into half. So they've got a fake to get free to, before they score. But if they can do that, it might be something different. And then you'd revisit it. Um, you'd obviously have a bigger game at the end, so it makes sense. So it it it, it it's kind of a it's kind of an, an audition for what comes next, for want of a better phrase. Um, so I, I always try to have three or four different practices as a part to go to next. Uh, and I'm so glad that you said that because you know the the the, the term of whole part whole the phrase, if you like, gets thrown around so loosely, in my opinion, um, that actually it's if you break it down. Is actually probably one of the most complex ways of working. Absolutely. Um, in that it's not, you know, where a lot of coaches in my observations, especially, you know, when I've delivered courses and stuff like that, their understanding of the whole part of whole is right. Today, guys, we're going to work on, I don't know, playing out from the back. Okay, we've done the whole, we've done the initial whole, we're going to move into a, a specific practice that I've got in mind. But actually, in my opinion, to be really, really effective with the whole part, whole process and really, you know, maximise your impact with it, you almost need to have maybe four or five different practices prepared. Absolutely. And then based on the observation of the initial whole, mm. you'll then make an assessment, right? Okay, this is what the problem area is in this particular hole in comparison to maybe what I expected for there to be. Because, you know, your, your, your plan is only based on some observations or some thinking somewhere. And that might not be what comes up in your initial hole. But then now if you carry on working on that, regardless, you're now, you're, you're now basically neglecting what you've just observed. Yeah, and basically, just said, right, we're just going to play the whole for the sake of the whole because I'm going to go to this part anyway. When actually, the skill of doing whole part whole for me is actually having those different practices ready and prepared. And it might not be ready and prepared in right. This is exactly what we're going to do. But it's almost like right, okay. I know the moment that's that, that that's causing them a challenge here. I know the moment that's causing them a bit of a difficulty, or where they might need to be stretched further. So now I've got a practice for that. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, we think about coach and we talk about um, teach or anything. The whole the idea behind it is to improve the people that you're working with and putting something in place that will improve that will improve them at whatever that thing is. And you think if you've got one practice, are you doing it for them or are you doing it for you? That's that that that's that would be a question for me. Another question would be people, uh, you know, some people, you know, if you're doing that one practice, you it's again we're coming back to it's very generic. Um, I know people say, oh, you can never you know you struggle to make a part or a next practice for individual players well if you observe well enough a lot of the times you can find that so for example the example that i just gave around um you know tricking tricking so it's a fake in one way then going another we might have billy for example who's very good at that so that might be okay you can do that can you try and score within five seconds and then you get five goals so he, he might have to work on escaping from the defender as opposed to tricking them. Um, so, again, it, it comes down to observation. That that first part for me, as, as you've said, Yaz, is absolutely crucial because then it feeds it feeds the story in for the next, uh, for, well, for the remainder of the session. Absolutely. And I think you know, a really key point that, that kind of just jumps out at me when you're speaking is about having an understanding of what's going to be next. And that next piece actually one thing that I would advise coaches to do is actually reverse engineer the whole thing. Yeah. Look at the top end when it's completely done and when, when you're, I guess, looking at your potential ideal. Yeah. And then observe where they're at now yeah. and then scale it, scale it back, say, right, okay, as an example, let's just say they five, there's five levels to this or five stages to this. If stage five is where you want them to be, actually through looking at what's happening, you've identified five different stages and they're probably sitting at between the two and the three. You already know what's next. You've just got to kind of decide, right, okay, what's the next piece that's going to allow that to happen? And then what's going to allow that to happen? And what's going to allow that to happen? And until you get to the end goal. Yeah. And go the other way too and say, right, what do we need to make sure that this can happen? 
and then this can happen and so on and so forth so you go back to stage one and in, in you know if you strip it right back that might take you back to some form of your technique piece um but also you know you you, you mentioned earlier about in that technique piece that they're just practicing um and then the, the key word was context so my, my 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 thoughts are that just start with just start with start with a, a game like practice all the time, no matter how old they are, no matter what age they put the stay at. Because if we go back to the idea of competency and understanding that everyone is different, it's non-linear in that respect. Then we also need to appreciate and understand that actually, if you like, there's many ways to skin the cat, and yeah. if they're actually achieving what they are expected to achieve or what we're hoping for them to achieve on the back end of it do we really care how they get it done i'd, I'd, I'd argue not yeah. um to be honest um there's, there's a lot of people that would say no we need to we need to see them do it in this way and we need to see them do it in that way and it's like well that's based on your understanding and your perceptions of how you would complete the task yeah. but you know if they're completing the task and they're getting the success and results it's one of them, you know, it's that age old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Absolutely. Now, that doesn't mean don't try and refine it. Don't look at it and see where it can be further developed. Don't, you know, engage and interact with the individual to maybe see how they can better apply it in a future context. But it doesn't necessarily always mean that we have to revert to looking at the technique as a breakdown, but maybe their understanding of how and when to apply it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was I was in a um, in a session the once, and there was a we would, I think we were doing a um, I think we would I want to say um, it was a long passing. It was switch of play practice for and you know we had this yeah similar to what you said. Yes, you know this is what we it looks like switch the play. I'll never forget it. This ball was fizzed in from a defender to a winger, and the ball's bouncing. So it's, it's bounced once, and with his right foot, he's hit it, and it's gone to the other side of the pitch. So he switched the play. Coach stops the practice. You know, okay, but you've got to touch it out your feet and then switch. And then the question I had was, well, he's done what? He's, he's switched play, hasn't he? I mean, does it have to look like that, like the classic Paul Scholes switch of play, or does it? Or he's just done what you've asked him to do. <laughs> he's moved the ball from one side of the pitch to the other. So again, do you do you limit creativity with things like that? Where you start again becoming into technical practice as well? Does that limit creativity? I don't know. Potentially, hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I would argue that in that context that you just provided, there is the, the one word that really kind of just jumps yeah. at me as you're talking yeah. is ego. Oh yeah. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Hundred and Fifty. Then place a five dollar wager on any sport. You'll receive one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Yeah. Um, no, again, I, I, I really encourage coaches just to think about how important is the, is the process if they're actually achieving the outcome. Um, and more specifically, what, you know, what can we learn from that? Yeah. We learn from that as coaches. We, we're only limited in our, in our, in our, in our knowledge of what we know. Therefore, 
if we've got other solutions that can solve the problem, let's take that on board and try and utilize that for to our advantage in the going going forward. You know, it might be that right. Here's the outcome. Here's what we're looking for. Right, you guys, show me how you might go about doing that, and then we can work through it together, and it becomes a collaborative experience. And I, and I think for me that is is such a key part to this as well. But you know, something interesting you mentioned there as well is that that technique piece, and you know. What I try to do, and, and I, again, I, I stress that I don't really—I'm not really a massive fan of the unopposed practice. Um, and in fact, the only time I would probably would use it is if I was literally doing a one-to-one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and even then, I do my utmost best to give give the session context. So, for instance, in that scenario, there we take the same scenario, trying to switch the play. Right? Can you show me what it might look like to switch the play if if you had? A player shutting you down, yeah, you know, right in front of you. Now, straight away, I'm giving them a visual to work from. Now, yeah. that visual is gonna is gonna impact their their experience, their understanding of the context, but also their potential solution for the problem. Yeah. Um, now, that's the piece I was referring to earlier when I'm saying I don't think enough coaches that do the unopposed work maybe give enough context to the practice and instead just direct an outcome rather than give it context. That's the thing. It, it's 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 little things. Just for going, just for touch on that. Um, in terms of ego, it always reflect. It always reminds me of a quote that I've got actually on my uh, computer here. I've got a list of quotes, um, and it's around teaching, around coaching in general. It's around it, our job is to be the candle that lights the flame. If you want to be the flame, go and be a player. <laughs> and that's always that's always stuck with me. I've always always thought about that. Um, so um, in terms of one, in terms of one to ones, and you know, you see a lot of the time data around, you know, cross turns around cones and things, um, and the, the, you know, it's little modifications. So, for example, for dribbling, if they're dribbling around cones, the heads off and down. So then that it, you think you put that in again, they're not seeing what's around them, they're not seeing what the, what the next move is. Um, just little things like I've I've got I've had, you know, when I've had. When I've had a lot of equipment, I've had footballs. And I'm throwing them down, and I've got to keep the head up and move around. Or I've, I've got a number on my hands, and they've got to, sh- you know, they're shouting the number and things. So there's, there's there's little modifications you can do that can make it obviously more like a game. It, it's obviously it's not as good as as what you've just said as a game type of practice, in my opinion. Um, but again, sometimes you're forced into certain situations where you just have to adapt and try and do the best that you can. So Ross, obviously, you know, I think it would be fair to say that, you know, we're in somewhat alignment with our views in terms of what coaching uh, should, well, at least in terms of practice design should look like. Um, I'm interested to get your views in this. It's, it's a big bugbear of mine, is the term, let the game be the teacher. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, in some ways, well, in, in a lot of ways it can, but it depends for me how you deliver it. Um, I mean, if you, I mean, the, I mean, the common, um, I mean, the common kind of view on that is we'll just, we'll throw a ball in and they'll learn how to play the game. Um, again, like, I know we've talked about it earlier on the podcast, but for me, uh, playing the games based approach is often more difficult than planning a, a technique to skill or, a, or a linear approach for me, because there's, there's so many different factors, um, making it applicable for each individual player, uh, the questions that you ask. To to generate new knowledge for the players, um, and design, and fundamentally designing the game itself. Um, does is it authentic? Does it replicate the topic so that the players can then can then make that link to then use it in a game? So for me, it's it's a lot of people sometimes imply that oh they're just playing a game. There's no coaching in quotation marks going on. Well, there's there's individual questions being asked. There's team talks to reflect on what they've just done. Um, there's loads and loads of different things going on. If it, if it, and it and it can be in the if it's planned, <clears throat> excuse me, and delivered in the right way. So in short, it can, but it's how it's delivered. <laughs> um, I, I see my, my 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 views of this. I don't think the game can be a teacher um, unless there's some facilitation going on. Absolutely. Um, I guess uh, you know if I'm unpacking what you've just said, it's, it's yeah. similar to what I'm saying. And, 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 I, and, I'm, and I make that point just to really highlight for coaches that let the game be a teacher doesn't mean, like you've just said, throw a ball in and let them crack on. Because yeah. that's not going to do anything. No. Um, yes, there might be some subconscious 
bits that they pick up over time because they're just experiencing new things and or they're, or they're building a bank of experiences around the same things. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and I would compare that to uh, going back to maybe the technique skill game approach. It's not that I'm saying I don't believe these things are working. I just believe that if we had 100%, um, you know, in the tank, we'll probably fill in about maybe 40% of it by allowing them to do that. We need to be doing more to extract the extra piece. And that is providing the context that is asking, asking the right questions. You're not just asking questions because there's a lot of coaches that certainly in, in my role as a coach developer where I've observed, you know, coaches say to me, right, they, they're going to use Q&A in tonight's session. Okay, but every single question is a closed question. How is that helping you? You know, every single question, and the, the challenge always put out to coaches is, you know, think about the question you're going to ask before you ask it. But before you even think about the question you're going to ask before you ask it, ask yourself, what is it that you want to find out? Because a lot of coaches, in my opinion, don't actually have that information to hand and haven't considered what they actually want to find out before they start thinking about the questions they're going to ask. And one of the kind of... I guess, top tips that I would give coaches to consider based on my own experiences when you're delivering a session or when you're planning a session, think about the, the points that you want to come up, whether that be, you know, your, your coaching points or technical points, however you wish to view them. Ask yourself, right, what would the quote unquote technical detail be here? Um, if you were to give it in a command manner, then that's one strand of it. But then if you were now to, go one step further and, and I guess clarify or check understanding of the player and, and what they actually understand from the situation, their perception of things. What is maybe a question or two that you could use that would lead towards that, to, that towards maybe that technical point or the at least the considerations around it. And then a third, you know, another layer beyond that is when you, once you've identified that point, that question or two, yeah. you can now create two or three versions of each of those questions. Um, reason being because not every player is going to understand the first version so they might need another way or, or, or way beyond that which is yeah. something you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier as well so yeah for, for me it's um, it's a balance because obviously as you, the example that you gave there closed questions if you ask a question often enough players aren't stupid kids aren't stupid they'll know the answer and they'll repeat the answer so then when they, when they repeat the answer that you gave often coach will say oh well they must have learned that now well it, it's probably recitation. They've learned the response rather That's than the actual learn that you know learn the actual skill. Also, um, what I would say is sometimes um, start with an open or, or <clears throat> start with an open question because the whole theory behind the whole theory to get a bit deeper. The whole theory behind questioning is the body has been in the game it's often, as you said there, yeah, subconsciously. It's moving. It's active. It's involved. And by asking a question, what you're doing, you bring into their conscious thought what they've just done. So it's a way for them to articulate what they've just done, and it's a it's a form of reflection. And then what you can what what you can do that what you can do there is once they've reflected upon it, you can then develop critical thinking skills and independent decision making skills. Because then you can lead into okay, so you've done this. Where would you do it in the game? Why would you do it? Why would it change? So then you're developing that bank. I, not not saying back. You're using that, using that. Can't you're developing that experience? And so, even if they can't do it, they might they've reflected on it and they kind of have an idea of what the right response or the right action might be in that particular context. And that takes time. Hundred percent. And you know that kind of just leads me onto a, a, a quote that I like to I like to use as well. Is that you know if you figure out the problem, you're halfway there to solving it. If you don't Absolutely. know what the problem is, how are you going to solve it? And you can have you can have many solutions, but if you don't know what the problem is, the solutions are ir irrelevant. So I guess you know what what you're really you're saying there is allow the players to express themselves, but you can only do that by giving them the opportunity to express themselves, and more specifically through your questioning. It's not about recall or recit or recitation, but it's almost about reflection and through that reflection is how they're able to demonstrate to you as a coach their understanding rather than 
their ability to recall what's been said in the past. And we've also got to be mindful as well, whether young, old, adult or youth players, reality is if it's a yes and no answer, quite often they're going to give you the answer that's going to get them quickest back to playing. Absolutely. And, it, you know, it, again, it comes back to a different point in terms of terminology around, you know, some environments require players to learn terminology. Well, did I learn what the word means? Did I know how to do it in the game? Would be my, you know, <laughs> would be my argument. To yeah, that. yeah, hundred percent. Um, um, and also in terms, that, I know, I know a lot of the examples we've talked about is mainly from an individual point of view. Um, a lot of the, you know, when they're in a team, and when when you give them an, a, a question within a team or a problem to solve within the team, um, and if anyone wants um, some resources on this, I'm happy to share them via Twitter or, or email. Um, is giving them a problem to solve in a game, and what what you're <clears throat> what you're then allowing them to do is they're sharing their experiences within within their small groups. When you ask them, give give them a problem to solve. Okay, so what's you know what what do we need to do to be good at this game? Okay, well we need to do this as a team, and they're reflecting on they're reflecting on their experiences together and they're formulating a strategy. Now, what you're doing there is it might not, you know, sometimes it might not be right and they need to come back to revise it. But when you're thinking long-term, you're thinking, well, these guys have got the confidence to communicate their ideas within their team to, to be decision makers, um, to manage conflict as well, which again, you have to do, you know, to, and then to come up with a strategy. So it, I've always, again, that's, that's another example but I, that's why I was come to it in terms of I believe adopting games based approaches for me is more holistic to lock players long-term development um because you think if we're just doing command and we're saying oh you should have done this should have done this they're not learning any decision making skills they're not learning any problem solving skills they're not communicating their ideas they're not sharing their thoughts and their experiences and you think well a lot of the things that we touched upon in those little team talks or that, that we gave they're going to need that whatever they go into because unfortunately chances are they're probably not going to be professional footballers in the Premier League but a lot of those skills such as um, being an independent decision maker taking initiative sharing their ideas sharing their experiences um, showing empathy for people you know listening to different ideas they're going to need that whatever field they go into so if we can give them a, a, an environment that will allow them to benefit them holistically for me the amount of time that we have with players a lot of the time particularly in academy football, I, I think we've got, I've always said this, I think we've got a responsibility to do that. A hundred percent. And I think when you then break it down further and look yeah. at what, outside of maybe the quote unquote elite game. Yeah. You've got even less time. Absolutely. Which is why it's so important to maximise every second you've got with them. And, yeah. you know, even to the point where you're literally getting them constantly reflecting on what's going on. Now, yeah. the key thing there, you know, that you talked about is we need to allow them the opportunity to reflect and be aware of what's going on and not always have the expectation of them to deliver on it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, if they're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, no one's going to care what they did in 10 years time. No, absolutely. And <laughs> by that point in 10 years time, you're hoping they've developed enough experiences, enough, uh, enough awareness, enough understanding and skill to be able to apply it in a context that actually will consider what they're doing now as important. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, again, for me, it's about developing critical thinkers, developing decision makers who have the confidence to reflect on what they've done. Because obviously, if you reflect on what you've done, you're making decisions already because then you might think, oh, you know, I tried this or I might, I might have passed on my right foot, I should have passed on my left there because there's a player in my way. So just by asking a question, you stimulate reflection. And the more we can get players to do that for me, the better. Because then that, that can that's that's the way. You, I mean, I've, I've seen... Firsthand of how, of how this can this can work, you know, in different environments of just by providing that support mechanism, asking questions, allowing players the confidence to listen to their answers and to air their views, they're much better decision makers. I mean, I think of a lot of the teams that we had um, in a lot of the environments I've been in the elite environments. We probably didn't have, if you look at the, the bog standard technically best players we probably didn't have them if you just look at solid from a technical point of view but what we did have we probably had the best decision makers you know and that's probably you know i see a lot of the players breaking through through now um you know not necessarily first team but or, or progressing and progress you know going up through the age groups they're, they're all the best decision makers they can all they all know 
you know, that they all know, for example, when to pass, when to dribble, if we're going to simplify it down to that level and things like that. You think of the elite players in the pro game that, you know, often they're the best decision makers. Look at Iniesta. He knew when to pass, when to dribble, yeah. when to go with his left, when to go with his right a lot of the time. A hundred percent. I totally agree. And I think it is, it's that it's the thing where, you know, how many players have we come across that we see them have got outstanding technical ability but because they don't have the game understanding and how to apply where, where to where and when to apply these things they don't end up making anything of themselves and that, that, that's, that's not the only reasons but you know there's probably other reasons beyond it but I think that bit is really key to highlight and whereas you know you've probably got some players now who've maybe reached the pinnacle of the game yeah you'd argue you know if you look at their technical ability they're probably nowhere near some of the players that haven't made it yeah um, but they're able to make really, really effective decisions and not just effective decisions, make effective decisions under high levels of pressure. Yeah. And I think that, that's, that's what we need to kind of, as, a, as a, co- a collective within the coaching or youth development space, is get them doing. Can we put them under as much pressure as possible um, to give them the opportunity to reflect and make those decisions in those pressurised situations? And I think we're almost doing them a, a disservice when we're, not, when we're taking that pressure away from them. Um, yes it might look messy yes it might not be easy for them and no one's saying crank up the pressure every single time to maximal maximal but there has to be an element of pressure in everything that they do because that's the only way they're going to be able to learn to deal with it yeah I mean like for me I've always I've always I've always thought this um, rightly or wrongly it's just my opinion pressure is something that's put on players for me and sometimes unnecessarily so. Like, for example, I mean, I had, a, I had a, again, the, some of the teams I've had, they've played, we've played in big games, arguably, you know, finals and things. Um, and when they've just been allowed to play, because they're, they're, they train in the context of a game anyway, because a game's a game, you know, whatever level it is, they can do really well. The minute somebody has said to them, or said anything or implied pressure, that's where they struggled. And people will say, oh, they can't do under pressure. And I would ask, but if you don't have that conversation, they can do it. So why put the pressure on? For, you know, that, that's, just, that's just from my observations. I used to get I used to get quite frustrated about it, to be honest, um, because, you know, if they can do it in a pressured environment, in a final, without anyone saying anything to them and keeping it as normal as possible, then for me, they can handle pressure because they they recognise that they can make decisions in a game. Doesn't matter what level it is, whether it's in final, semi final, they can do it. Hundred percent. I think you know yeah. what jumps out to me there is you know you hear about it all the time where the coach tells the players go out and enjoy yourself. Yeah. And it's not that the, the, the situation is still the same situation. Yeah, absolutely. It hasn't changed. What's changed though is the intentional focus. Yeah. So I mean, is what yeah. we what are we paying attention, or what what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on the fact that it is a big game, or are we just focusing on the fact that it is a game? It is what it is. That hasn't changed. It didn't change because I told you to go and enjoy yourself. It's still the same game. It's just how I'm now approaching it based on that interaction. So I think you know, I think there is definitely something in there in terms of coaches or even just individuals in general, whether it be parents or you know whoever is whoever else is involved in whatever way, in adding pressure where it's just. It's just not needed. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I've been, I've been fortunate, you know, as, as you have, as I'm sure, to work with some really, 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 really good, good players and really good people. Um, and you know, we, we, we were, we were successful. And I, I always used to think before we played a big game, well, my behaviour has got to be exactly the same because obviously it served us well up until this point. So why would I change it now? <laughs> it, 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 you know, if 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 that makes sense, um, and players will recognise that. You know, it, especially as you know, with you know, especially with young players, and you know, a lot of consistency. And you know, if 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 you change, they'll recognise that. They'll be like, oh, what's what's going on? You know, why why are we? And plus, you know, I think I've heard some I've heard team talks in the past. I'm sure you have, where they say, you have to win this. Well, do we have to win it really? What well, what's going to happen if we lose? You know, I mean, especially especially in youth football, I think you're somewhat perfectly there. Yes. Just enjoy the game, enjoy the experience of being in a final. And then, you know, if you're in a World Cup final, then you can, <laughs> you, you might have to win that at some point, especially in England, because it hasn't come home yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Spot on, spot on. So, you know, just the, you know, because we've, we've talked quite a lot and quite extensively around games-based approaches, different ways of looking at it, and, and maybe some of the considerations that coaches need to make in terms of uh, the questioning. I'm curious to know if you've got any maybe specific questions that you commonly use within your sessions. Obviously, I know it's, everything's going to be context-based, um, but if there's maybe a, a specific kind of formula that you follow in terms of your the line of your questioning and, and what that looks like, and maybe be able to offer some guidance in, 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 around what that is and maybe how coaches who are maybe not currently looking at it from that perspective can go about and start applying it. Because I think there's going to be a lot of coaches, like I said, out there that would like to use the idea of Q&A, but maybe don't really understand how best to, how best to use it. Um, they believe they are using Q&A, but again, maybe not as impactful as, as it could be. Um, so, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts? What are the considerations that you'd make around it and in, in any kind of key questions that you tend to use within your sessions well i'll i'll, uh, I'll use example whole pot hole i'll um <clears throat> i'll i'll start with that so the first question or first questions i'd ask to the players in in the game it would be quite closed it, in terms of it will it wouldn't be cl- it'd be closed in plot pl- that it's got one response so for example if the dribbling game you've got to dribble into the end zone before you score or try and dribble into i'd say oh, what, what what do you need to do to get into the end zone or we need to dribble. So although that's a closed question, what you what what the idea behind that is what you're starting to do is they're reflecting on what's to come within the session. So dribbling one be ones, okay. We're gonna be doing dribbling. So that's what I'm gonna be thinking about when I go back into the game. And I'll try and go around, I'll try and go around as many players as possible asking that. Um and then um for individual practices, so the next part of the practice, um, or the or the well, the part of practice, um I would I, again. I'd ask very similar questions: How, where, when, and why you'd use this. Um, and then, if they showed that they were, if they showed a, a good level of ability, I'd then extend that with a more open question. For example, I'll, I just want to make a point on that. Um, da- try not to write down responses for open questions for me, because you know sometimes you you as natural as coaches will want a response, you know, to every question. And if it's not the response that we figured out, then the player must not be learning. They might not know the answer yet. So if they don't know the answer, give them a couple of seconds thinking time. Yeah. Much time as they need. And just, okay, well, just think about that. You don't have to answer me now. Just think about, you know, the next bit. I think also just in that is it's also yeah. when asking those questions, don't always expect an answer. And what I mean by that is they may, they may have an answer, but are not able to articulate it. Yeah. So give the opportunity to show you. Yeah. Now, if you're not able to explain to me what I'm looking for or what yeah, how to answer it, if you can't, you know, if you can't answer the question verbally, can you show me what you're thinking? Yeah, there's there's two um, there's two forms of knowledge in that. Again, we'll come back. To, there's de- there's declarative knowledge, whereas I can say it, you know, I can verbalize what to do, and then there's procedural knowledge is when I can do it. So you could add, you, again, really good point there. So I might I might not be able to tell you, but I can do it. You know, I might not have the level of um, literacy, I might not, you know, I, I might not be able. But, but if you put me in the con in the scenario, I, I, I can do it. And you could argue, well, you know, that's that's good enough, isn't it? I mean, you don't. Have to, uh, it's, um, I mean, in an ideal world, you probably get to a point where they are able to articulate themselves around it because absolutely. And I and I feel like the articulation piece doesn't need to be, um, you know, the queen's the queen's English, if you like. But I think what what's key is that if they're able to kind of break down some of the key aspects of what they're doing, as well as showing you, then. You can always use those, use those as reference points for the player when maybe things aren't going quite well. So if, if they, as an example, they've identified that something that helps them with their balance is having their arm at a certain angle, as an example. Well, you know, what do you think? What do you think about you know your arm in that situation, as an example? You know, it's probably not the best one, but it just gives them a reference point to work back to. And I think being able to go through, if they are able to show it to you and you know what you're looking at as a coach, but maybe they're not able to articulate it, maybe just support the individual with some of the observations you've made around their how um, in terms of the demonstration that they're giving you, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And again, just talking about the, the kind of terminology, as you said, the Queen's English, I'll, I'll never forget this story. It was, um, I was working with a coach at a club and we were doing, um, um, we, were, we were doing, uh, what was it now? 2 v one. Um, and um, and I asked this player, okay, so okay, what what, what are we what, what's the idea in this? You know, what what we're trying to do? Or tell me why you did, oh, no, I asked, I said, tell me why you did that. I think he passed the ball to the side. 
he said, well, um, he said, well, Thanos was coming towards me to try and get the Infinity Stone. So I moved the Infinity Stone onto Captain America. And then my, the guy with me was like, what? <laughs> and then, fortunately enough, I, I was a Marvel fan. So I thought, okay, so he was coming towards him and he's moved the ball to his left. Okay, I got you. So those, not, those aren't the words I would have used, but... Um, no, but you know, I think it's a great point, and it's a really, it's a really, uh, really um, specific one as well, because I think it just goes to show that you know we have to be very conscious about the language we're using and what it actually means to the players and how they perceive it. So quite Absolutely. often, you know, I'll ask a question. This has come back to what I was saying earlier. Have have a couple of different versions of the question that you're going to ask because yeah. they might not understand it, and it, it could just be down to the language that you're using rather than the actual. Um, you know, the, the complexity of what you're asking rather. And I think one of the key things within that is, you know, if you are asking certain questions or within the environment you're in, you hear certain phrases or terms being used to describe certain things, try and try and take note of that. Yeah. Realize that within your vocabulary or, or, you know, when you are in that particular environment or speaking to those particular players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, like that example that I just gave there, there was not, if you're looking for a response, there was not, a generic football response. There's not one word in that that will go. That's right. But if you if you look at the context, it was bang on. There was somebody coming towards him. The player was free that side, so he passed the ball there. Doesn't matter what words he used. It's the it's what we were looking for. So yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So right, Ross, you know, just to kind of, as we look to kind of tail off, any any key tips or guide, words of advice or guidance for coaches to consider in in their practice. I think for me, it always um, for me it always comes down to creating a supportive and an authentic environment for players to to learn. Um, we've got a responsibility as coaches to go beyond football as well. So a lot of the things that we've mentioned here, such as creating an environment that's comfortable for them to share ideas, having empathy for other people, being able to communicate, yeah, um, and to and thereby you create an independent thinkers, you're developing decision makers, and they can take that into any area of life that they go into. Also, in terms of games-based approaches, um, you know, there's no set way to do it. So <clears throat> for me, it's about planning planning something that's, that, rec that players can recognise, that they can link between a game and obviously the sessions that you're putting on. So just for me, just be creative and experiment with it. And there's not everything that, you know, there's not everything that we're always always going to get right. So just reflect upon it and then try and implement it and improve on it next time. Um, but remember, you, you put, you're creating an environment for people, for young people to play football and to make friends. And that's, that's the most important thing. 110%, I'd agree with that. And I think what the key kind of word that jumps out to me is, or phrase sentence if you like is be prepared to go into the land of the unknown absolutely don't plan don't plan for every eventuality but have have enough conscious thought around what you're doing so that you can have identify what path you're kind of on rather than you're specifically on if that makes sense and i think that's a really key piece now because i think the other kind of bit that really jumps out for me off the back of that is that for coaches is don't be too consumed with what's happening around you and in other, in other environments. Pay attention to what's happening in yours because then you'll be able to better cater for and develop the appropriate practices, the appropriate interactions, um, or at least get closer to developing those anyway. Yeah. You know, we're never going to get it right 100% of the time, but I think if we're conscious and, uh, about what it is that we're trying to achieve and who we're trying to achieve it with, that is going to give us the, 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 the tools and the information required to kind of get to that solution, if you like. 100%, 100%. Um, it's, again, um, with, with, with a lot of this, it's, it's focusing, focus on what's around you, creating the best environment for yourself. Um, you'll, you'll know your players better than anyone else. Um, so that, that's, that been, again, totally agree with everything you said, yes, to add to that. So Ross, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of things covered in this, in this conversation. I think we could probably sit here for hours and go, go into a lot more detail about some of the different things, especially, you know, I'm really keen to find out more about your research, but um, I think that's probably a conversation for another day. Um, but, you know, there's probably going to be loads of bits that listeners have picked up on uh, throughout this conversation. Maybe just share a bit of insight around where they can maybe get in touch with you to find out a little bit more about the work that you do and some of the things that we've discussed in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
I'm on Twitter at Ross underscore Ensor. Um, so if anyone wants to drop me drop me a DM, then the, the, or drop me a follow, and they're more than welcome to if they've got any questions. Um, I am on LinkedIn as well, so feel free, Ross Ensor. So feel free to drop me a message on there, and I'll I'll uh, I'll get back to you. But um, now happy to send any resources, any answer any questions that anyone anyone has um, that we on any topics that we've covered throughout this year. Really enjoyed it. Awesome, no, and I appreciate your time. I think it's been really insightful. And like I said, there's probably a few things that are going on in my head that have kind of just either been reinforced or kind of maybe sparked some more curiosity around it for myself. And I'm sure that'll be the case for the listeners as well. But I just want to maybe, again, thank you for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. No problem, yes. We'll do a part two, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that, man, definitely. Have a lovely day, man. And you. Bye, man. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.